You may be seated. I give honor to God for the privilege to stand before you all this evening. It was so unexpected. <laughs> I, I text my family. I said, the scriptures say, be ye always ready. <laughs> I didn't take that literally until today. No, it's a privilege to be here with you all again this week. Um, for the time I have, I want to lift from the scripture that Wayne read, just verse 10, and it reads in the contemporary English version, the thief's purpose is to kill, to steal, and destroy. But my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Pray with me if you would. Father, it's in the sweet name of Jesus that we pause to say thanks for this time that we have together. God, I ask that you would breathe afresh on this, your servant daughter, that her manuscript, that her study would become the word made flesh. Speak through me now, God, that your servant sons and daughters might hear what it is that you're saying to them this evening. And I will be careful to give your name praise. It's in the matchless, powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. If I had to give this sermon a title, I would call it, Live Your Life Like It's Golden. Jill Scott, an American R&B soul singer, songwriter, released a billboard hit on August the 31st in 2004 where she sang these words. She says, I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf, putting it on my chain, wearing it around my neck. I'm taking my freedom, putting it in my car. Wherever I choose to go, it will take me far. She went to the chorus where she said, I'm living my life like it's golden, golden, living my life like it's golden, living my life like it's golden, golden. And she repeated it four times before she got to verse, verse two, which says, I'm taking my freedom, putting it in my song, singing loud and strong, grooving all day long. I'm taking my freedom, putting it in my stroll. I'm, I'll be high-stepping, y'all, letting the joy unfold. I'm living my life like it's golden. And she repeated it a few more times. And when I did the research to find out what the song's meaning was, it, I found that Jill Scott wrote the song for people who had been enslaved and didn't know what it was like to live in freedom until laws were changed, until people began to stand up for what was right, until someone began to speak into their lives and they began to understand that they were children of God and deserved to live a free, full life. And while many of us in this room have never had to live with the impact of being an enslaved human being in the natural, we've all had the enemy to steal, kill, or destroy some area of our lives because we didn't know that we were living in bondage to the evil one. We didn't realize that we often are enslaved to our jobs, to our children, to our mates, to our pain, to our church, it could be our money, our titles, and I could go on with a list, but my time is short, so I'm just going to leave it right there. You know what you're enslaved to. Anything that has us in angst, in depression, that has more value in our lives than God is a trap of enslavement from the adversary, 
And Emma Lazarus says this, until we are all free, none of us are free. Thanks be to God, we have the assurance from the one who is able to give us life that we are to live free, abundant, and full lives. The scary part is, if our identity in Christ is not secure, we will fall for the tactics of the adversary and live beneath our privilege in God. But don't worry, God loves us so much that even when the enemy tries to trick us and we don't know how to live our lives like it's a golden gift from God, the Father will come and see about us. You see, as we journey through this Lenten season, we recognize that Jesus of Nazareth had to go through a period where the evil one tried to tempt him and attempted to get him to go through the wrong gate also. Jesus, the one who gives life, is on the precipice of a critical moment in his earthly ministry leading up to his crucifixion. Claudette Copeland calls it the place between the crux and the crucible. It's a space where you're in a situation and you know it's about to get worse, that the heat is being turned up, but God controls the heat. You know how it is when you're facing something tremendous and don't know how it's gonna work out, but what you do know is that God is the only one who can get you out of it. There are times in all of our lives that we find ourselves disturbed, distressed, and sometimes depressed, yes, even as Christians. And to make matters worse, it's often the Lord's work that takes us there. It's kingdom business. It's an assignment. Sometimes it's our call. J. Allen Blair advises that God can't work through an anxious heart, so I want to suggest whenever you get there, you stop and remind yourself, this is God's work and I'm his chosen vessel. And then say to yourself, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And you don't have to figure it out by yourself. First Peter 5 and 7 says that God is at work through us. So clearly the Lord already has everything under control. We've just got to go through the right gate to hear the Father's voice so that we will know how to proceed. Our text this evening tells us exactly what Jesus' call is, and it helps us to understand ours a little bit better. It is here that Jesus is clear in telling us, I came to give you life. We could stop right there, because in the Baptist church, we would say that's shouting material, because if Jesus came to give us life, that has to be an awesome life. He tells us that this is his call. You see, he was being called to serve as the perfect sacrifice for reconciling humanity with God the creator. And whether we believe it or not, God in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty has called us to do the very same thing. He wants us to be reconciled to him. He wants us to be reconciled to ourselves and he wants us to be reconciled with one another. This clarifies an important revelation about Christ for me because it is here that I realized that the son of God was simultaneously fully human yet fully divine. In this moment, the fullness of Christ's humanity is on display where he tells us that the enemy will bring sorrow. He will bring loneliness, he'll bring hunger, he'll bring anguish and sadness, but I have come. I love when we get to the but, but I have come to bring joy and peace and hope and love and prosperity by giving, he wants to give us a new life. You see, he never lost sight of his sonship. He never relinquished the certainty that he was a child of God. And he came to give us plentiful, complete living. 
so that we could live without the penalty of sin. We could take a page from his story because when we're in a tight situation, many of us tend to forget that we belong to God. Saints of God, Jesus was grounded in the surety of his righteousness and he represented gloriously what otherwise was a hopeless situation for all of humanity. The statement, I have come, is enough for me. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. It signifies the breadth of humanity of Jesus at a key moment in his earthly journey. Jesus was pained by the sinful and decrepit human condition and he was willing to give up his life so that we could live, not just a little bit. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That means that God is doing something in us. And so low living, small mindedness, limited thinking is not how God wants us to live. And you know, if the human condition caused him to want to go to the cross, can you imagine what the human condition is doing to his heart in 2020? We got fake news. We got alternative facts. We got governmental leadership looking a lot like the Antichrist, and folks are engaging in the powers of darkness like it's normal behavior. But please be careful, because Genesis 4 and 7 says that sin is crouching at your door. If you don't master it, it will master you. I'm so glad that Jesus took on our sin and became the pardon for the things that we've done, are doing, and will continue to do until we reach glory, because we could never pay the debt for some of the stuff that we've done. I know I'm not the only one in this room who could tell that story. Today, like never before, many Christians and non-Christians find themselves yearning for direction and support to work out their fractured life experiences. We can so easily get caught up in what people are going to say. What are people going to think? What are people going to do if they find out the truth about us? We can so often get caught up with the things that are going on outside of us that we forget to focus on the one who created us. We forget to focus on what our true purpose for being here is or what our real mission in this earth realm is about. And we lose sight of our call. And don't you know that's when the price goes up for the enemy? The price gets higher because we've allowed something outside of kingdom business to become our main focus. We can't let what other people think about us be the reason we not operate in our call. We can't let other people's thoughts and persecution of us cause us to lose sight of our assignment. We must understand that as Christians, we are to listen for the voice of the Father at the gate where we can be saved. We need to listen for the voice of the one who can really heal us, who can really lead us, who can really guide us, and get all of those other voices out of our heads that causes us to live outside of our privilege. Our job is to listen so that we can live abundantly, believing that with God all things are possible. We all know, have known, or will know what it's like to be persecuted and falsely accused, to be marginalized because we don't fit the mold of what others think think we should be, to feel rejected because we aren't in the right socioeconomic bracket, because we don't have the right level of education, because we're not the right race, not the right size, not the right church, not married to the right person, and the list goes on and on. But I'm so glad that we serve a God who chooses us regardless to any external 
factors. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at our hearts. I'm glad that there's not a certain performance level that I have to obtain, and God knows I'm glad my bank account is not what he's looking at, because I would be lost, I would be broke as a joke, you hear me? I wouldn't, I'm glad God is not interested in those things. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying that when you feel alone or like you don't measure up, look to Jesus. He understands what persecution and rejection looks like. He understands what being dismissed feels like. And yet, he still loves us. We serve a Savior who knows what it's like to be marginalized or not accepted. But the good news is that the Lord is waiting on us. He's inviting us to come through the gate where he is. The Lord wants us to give him our concerns so he can do something about them. Please understand that no matter what your assignment may be, what your concerns are, what you've done, good or bad, God loves you as his child, and he wants you to do the work that he's assigned to your hands for the body of Christ. We have to fulfill our call. So how do we move to a place where you can live your life like it's golden? I'm glad you asked. I told y'all last week, I like an inquisitive crowd. <laughs> the first thing I want to suggest is that you have to know who your gatekeeper is. Because if you go through the wrong gate, it will take you down a road that you had no intentions of being. Wayne read the scripture. He said in, the, in verses 1 through 9 exactly who the gatekeepers were that one would take you to death and one would take you to life. You have to know exactly who your gatekeeper is and which gates you should be entering through. But life has played so many tricks on our minds that we sometimes don't recognize the Father's voice and we entered some gates that takes us on lengthy journeys. Although it's difficult to understand with our finite minds, it's important to point out the fact that we must remain tethered to the hem of the garment of God so that we can be sure that God's voice is the one that we're following and not the adversaries. We're all chosen for a specific work in the kingdom, but it does not mean that things are going to be easy. He said he was going to give you life. He didn't say I'm going to give you an easy life. So understand that the road might not be easy, but God has given you a promise that he's going to give you life. This is a lesson that teaches us that we have to put our trust fully in God because people will at one time or another let you down. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied him. Nor is it attacked. This is not what God is looking at. He's not looking at the fact that people have denied you, nor is, is the, those people's behaviors attached to your, uh, your assignment. You have to stay focused on the one who is giving you life. Keep your ear pressed to God's lips so you won't be easily swayed by the voices of people who mean you no good. So you have to know who your gatekeeper is. But then secondly, you have to know who your enemy is. Because everybody smiling at you, at, at you uh, is not your friend. Our enemy is anything or anybody that takes us outside of the will of God for our life. Those things that are stealing your dreams, those things that are killing your hope or destroying your life are your enemies. The people who destroy your self-esteem, that kill your spirit and steal your song, that's your enemy. Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's your church, your co-workers, or the people that claim to be closest to you. 
If anybody is kill, killing, stealing, or destroying any part of you, they are operating under the influence of the enemy. And when we settle for this, we get off track. Charles Spurgeon says that our road as Christians is not the broad one where many may go. It's the narrow one which few people find. Stay on the right track. Make sure that God's voice is the one that you're listening to because God clearly commanded that we make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the clean and the unclean, between the living for God and living for ourselves. We get to choose this day who we're gonna serve. So you need to know who your gatekeeper is. You need to know who your enemy is, but you also need to know what your purpose is. Our assignment is usually fine-tuned through the trials we experience. Scripture tells us that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be the living, breathing, walking, talking, billboards, advertisers of the praises of Christ. We can't just know them and be glad to know them. We must make sure that others know the awesome virtues of Christ also. We're to become the messengers who speak in the place of the one who sent us. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, Lisa, I'm not a preacher. And I say to you, you don't have to be. But if you're a dancer, dance like David danced. If you're an usher, tell your story through greeting people with a smile and not a scowl. Sing unto the Lord if you're a singer. If you're a poet, tell it through your spoken word. We have Christ, the hope of glory, living in us and working through us. And people ought to see him in our attitudes, in our actions, in our commitments, in our conversations. Don't commit to something and then not do it as a child of God, because now you're sending mixed messages. This generation of people should be healing one another by the way we love one another, by the way we encourage one another, by the way we talk to one another and pray for one another. We must be willing to nurture one another. In Isaiah 43, it says that God has fashioned us for himself so that we will show forth his praise. I believe we can do this by the way we live and love. God promises that a new thing is already being done in you. And if that's not enough, a promise is made that even in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your chaos, in the middle of you trying to figure it all out, when you're in your desert experience, God is still making a way. God is so sovereign that rivers will be made in our dry places, but we must focus on the gate. We must focus and know who our enemies are. We must focus on what he's called us to do. So when you know who you, who you are and whose you are, what your purpose is in this earth realm is really about, you remember that you're a purchased person with a golden life. As I close and take my seat, I encourage you to consider that the divine image lives in each one of us, which is the love of God. This makes us worthy of all that God has in store for us. This is the holy presence that should draw all things good and beautiful into our world. He knows what we will be while we're still becoming. And nevertheless, even when we are a hot, stinking mess, he invites us to come because he has work for us to do. I invite you back to that Jill Scott song where she invites us to live in our freedom. She sings, I'm holding on to my freedom. Can't take it from me. I was born into it. It comes naturally. I'm strumming 
my own freedom, playing the God in me, representing his glory. Hope he's proud of me. I'm living my life like it's golden, living my life like it's golden, golden, living my life like it's golden. My question is, are you? Amen.